when we build our life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, when the storms of this life hit, we may get damaged. But that's just cosmetic in a spiritual sense. When we're standing upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, though the storms of life may beat upon us, they will not overcome us. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today I titled this Milk or Meat, a question there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to see the carnal mind in verses 1 through 4. Our second point Planting, watering, and increasing, verses 5 through 8. No other foundation, verses 9 through 17. And you belong to Christ, verses 18 through 23. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, Lord, that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today, to this church. Lord, I know that Paul penned these words to a specific church nearly 2,000 years ago. But Lord, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, the words that he penned for that church then are still applicable to your church today. And I pray, Lord, that we would glean from your text today. And Lord, that you would teach us spiritual truths and that you would cause us to consider where we're at in our walk, our relationship with you. Lord, if we're feeding upon the milk of God's word and we're bathing Christ, Lord, we're exactly where we should be. But Father, if we have been growing in maturity and perhaps time to feed upon the meat of your word, Lord, then bring us to that place of maturity. Help us to consider these things as we go through this study this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. As we consider this building that we're in, And I think we rarely think about the brothers and sisters who, in the 1960s, used an old corn crib as their first sanctuary. Have you ever seen a corn crib? Uh, When you're driving by barns, (laughs) yes, (laughs) we've seen a lot of them. They're usually, uh, they allow the air to come in to circulate because you don't want things to get moldy and all that, and so it's not like a barn that's closed up and you want to keep the animals warm. This is something that allows the air to come in. Can you imagine that? The corn crib became the first sanctuary on this property. And although our church may not be the most modern facility, the believers who constructed this place, one of the 
Uh, Previous assistant pastors told me that they prayed over every single block that was laid in this building. And at one point in the mid-70s, the Spirit descended upon this fellowship that their attendance grew fivefold from around 60 to 300 in just a few short months. Can you imagine that? And although the history of this church is not perfect for the sinfulness of man is a challenge for every generation, our fellowship has been built upon the work of others that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Jesus taught a parable in Luke 19 of a nobleman who refers to in this parable of that of Jesus who went to a far country, Jesus going to heaven to his father, God. Before leaving, this nobleman gave his servants gifts, and he said, do business until I come. And when the nobleman returned, he gathered his 10 servants around him, the 10 servants representing the followers of Jesus Christ. He had given them minas, wages or talents. He presented the gifts, and as he returned, he found that the first that he gave 10 gifts or talents to in return said, Lord, I have added to the 10 another 10. And then another one who had been given five, he said, Lord, I've added to the five that you have given me another five. And the Lord commended them for a job well done. He blessed them and gave them cities to rule over. On the other hand, there was one who was given one gift, one talent, and he he said, Lord, I know that you're a hard man, and I took this gift, this talent you have given me, I buried it, and here it is. That which you have given me, I've kept safe. The Lord responded to him, why did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. It teaches us, it teaches me, that any work that we might do with the gift that the Lord has given us, however small it might be, will reap heavenly reward. All the Lord requires us to do is to do something with the gifts, the talents that he has given us. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So whether we plant or we water, we need to know that it's God who gives the increase. Here in verses 9 through 17, we find that there is no other foundation. In verse 9, we pick up reading, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds upon it. But let each one of you take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. For if anyone's work which he has built 
on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So he he moves away from his farming analogy, this analogy of planting and watering and increase, and he begins to talk about being fellow workers, master builders, fellow workers, uh, talking about co-workers, helpers that come along to work together in the Christian faith that we are God's field. It's actually where he says that we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. That Greek word there refers to a a tilled and cultivated field. (laughs) Say the word right, John. It's tilled and cultivated. In contrast to the Bible, will at times talk about fallow ground. And when the Bible refers to being fallow ground, it talks about soil that has not been turned. It's left fallow. It's just sitting there doing nothing. You are God's field. You have been tilled. You are being cultivated. You are growing in your faith. We are also God's building. It's a Greek word that just simply refers to a structure. Paul saw himself as a wise master builder who had rightly laid the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified while others, like Apollos, built upon that foundation. And when it comes to faith, there is only one true foundation upon which we can build our lives. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Matthew 7, 24 and 25, it tells us, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And by building our lives upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, we discover that though the storms of life may come and they will come, they will not overcome. The storms come. A few years ago in this area, we had a, a pretty significant hail storm. If you want to see the evidence of it, just go look at my wife's car out there. There's still evidence of the hail storm. They said this car ain't worth fixing, so the insurance bought the car out from underneath us. We bought it back, and we still own it. But our house, as I was reading this text, the house was beat up. The hail came through our glass, damaged floor inside the house, damaged the siding, damaged the roof. Eleven of our 17 windows were damaged and had to be replaced. But the house stood. The house didn't move off its foundation. The house was still there. The house was still sound. The cosmetics of the house was damaged, and that was able to be repaired. When we build our life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, when the storms of this life hit, we may get damaged, but that's just cosmetic in a spiritual sense. When we're standing upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, though the storms of life may beat upon us, they will not overcome us. Verses 12 through 15 speaks about the different 
building materials that we might use. Paul goes on to a greater detail of how we might build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he speaks about using materials such as gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. In the day, in the day of judgment, not the uh, great white throne judgment where the unbelievers will stand before Almighty God and be judged for their unbelief, but in the day of judgment when Christ Jesus brings us to the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, on that day our works will be declared revealed by fire. They'll be tested by the fire. Today, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we receive the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That is a given that has been given to us. And yet one day we'll all stand before the Bema Seat judgment of Christ. We'll be held accountable for our actions. Our works will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for salvation because we are saved by faith and not by works. But we are judged and our works will be judged. Romans 14.10 tells us, Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now the foundation of our salvation is Christ Jesus himself, but there at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ, our works will be tested. And enduring works of gold, silver, and precious stones, we will, with these enduring works, receive reward. While perishing works of wood, hay, and stubble, they'll be burned up. I wonder if the guy, or gal, I don't know who wrote, the nursery rhyme of the three little pigs had this passage in mind. But I've always loved that little rhyme, especially after I became a bricklayer, knowing that if our house would have had brick on it a couple of years ago, the brick would not have been damaged. Although hail can get big enough, uh, Ace told me once that he saw a two by four go right into a brick wall. Storms can be tough in life. God's fire test will determine our position as joint heirs in Christ in the millennial reign of Christ. And no wonder Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27, he says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Here Paul shows us that he is not talking about loss of salvation, but loss of reward. An interesting thought in connection to verse 15 is that the word of God is sometimes like fire. The same word of God which tests our service at the judgment seat of Christ is available for us today. And if we are building in accordance to the teachings of the word of God, then our work will stand the test on that coming day. We don't have to wait 
until the judgment day to know whether we're building with the right material or not. The word of God has been given to us that we could know what are the right materials to use. Second John 8 tells us there's only one chapter in Second John. It's a one chapter book. Second John, verse 8. Look to yourself that we do not lose those things which we work for, that we may receive a full reward. For we are the temple of God, he says in verse 16, because the Spirit of God dwells in us. Here he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? The you there is plural. So it's telling us that Paul is talking to the whole church. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, church? Do you not know this? Today, the temple of God is not in Jerusalem. One day there will be a temple built there unto God. Scripture tells us that that is coming. But today, the temple of God is not in a building that's in Jerusalem. The temple of God is in the hearts of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives. And as we build upon this wonderful foundation of Christ, we become a dwelling place of God where the Holy Spirit dwells in our lives. In John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. And the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then he says, verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Unbelievers who defile the temple of God will be destroyed in the day of judgment. While believers, though they may suffer loss, according to verse 15, will be saved yet as through fire. And since God's holy temple, his temple is holy, we should watch how we conduct ourselves, how we represent Christ. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct, because as it is written, be holy as I am holy. And as wise master builders, may we build our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And finally, we come to our last point. You belong to Christ, verses 18 through 23, where Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become as a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. You belong to Christ. And yet in the wisdom of this world, Paul tells us that we should not deceive ourselves. It means to seduce or to deceive to think that in this world that we should not be clever in this age. The Greek word actually is where we get when he talks about you rather become a fool 
it's the Greek word where we get our word, English word, moron. Paul said, I would rather that you guys be a bunch of morons and know Jesus Christ than to have the wisdom of this world, which to God is foolishness, knowing that the world's excellence is folly with God because God catches the clever in their shrewdness and understanding that the thoughts of the clever, to God, they are simply pointless. The first quote comes from Job 5. In Job 5, verses 12 through 13, he says, he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. In Job chapter 5, it's his buddy Eliphaz comes to support him when he's going through this difficult time. Remember, Job at this point, he had lost all his children, all his wealth. He has these horrific boils growing on his body. And the Bible tells us when his three friends came first to visit him, that for seven days they sat there and they said nothing. And I believe that for the first seven days, they did the best visiting possible. Sometimes it's better to keep our mouths shut because when they opened their mouths, they said some pretty foolish things. Eliphaz was convinced that although Job had been blessed greatly by God, that Job had some unhidden sin that caused all this stuff to come upon him. In Job 5.8, Eliphaz counseled Job to commit his cause to the Lord. He said, Confess, and God will be with you again. He had it totally wrong. In the second point, it comes from Psalm 94, 11. It says, The Lord knows the thoughts of men, that they are futile. Here the psalmist asks those who are senseless, those who are fools, when will you be wise, he says in Psalm 94, verse 8. The senseless person refers to a person having a dull heart, uh, being a fool, referring to one who has a knowledge of God but does not know God. They know something of the word of God, but they haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he instructs them, for the Lord instructs the nations. He teaches man knowledge and Psalm 94, verse 10. So God verse both corrects and he knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Therefore, the psalmist recognizes that the end of the wicked will not have fellowship with God. Though they may sit on thrones of iniquity in this lifetime, though they may devise evil with their laws within this life, though they may gather against the righteous and condemn those with innocent blood, God will continually be our help, our salvation. So he says, let no one boast, verses 21 through 23. So don't boast in mere men, that of Paul, Apollo, Cyphus, or in things of this world like life, death, things present or things to come. He says, all are yours and you belong to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he belongs to God. Considering that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, believers then should not boast in foolish men. Rather, we should boast in God. For it doesn't matter who our 
earthly teachers might be, whether they might be Paul or Apollos or Peter or some other teacher, what matters is that we belong to Jesus Christ. What matters is that Jesus Christ belongs to God. In this life, whether life or death, things present or things to come, all fall upon the authority of Jesus Christ. All are yours. As believers in Jesus Christ, these all fall under the authority of Jesus Christ. What matters is that we belong to Jesus and that Jesus belongs to God. John 17, 9 and 10 says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. We belong to God, but we belong to Jesus as well. Romans 14, 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we belong to Jesus just as Jesus belongs to God. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.